0: discipleship though we talked about suffering which is a very personal very important uh, part of helping each other and discipling each other and growing in Christ Uh, and it takes a lot of nuance takes a lot of gentleness and kindness and that's the same with today but um, even uh, equally or more difficult I guess its own bag uh, difficulty um, with biblical accountability with each other Uh, they give three examples at the top You can picture a Christian who's struggling with internet lust, but is ashamed to talk about it. Or maybe a Christian who gets angry with their children. (coughs) I had a friend like this, uh, but desires to stop that anger. Or a Christian who knows that they are in an aggressive career. And that if they don't be careful, it will overtake their life. Uh, These are all super common. And they feed into this lie. And one of the greatest lies that Satan can give us is to think that as Christians we can go it alone. Uh, that we can Han Solo our way through it. Uh, that we can fight sin by our own agenda and by our own strength. Yet one of the arguments uh, that we've been making about discipling is that we can't fight alone. Uh, the only the, part, the reason we're having this class is to Be deliberate disciples of each other. That's the people in this room. Because people who are coming to Sunday school are fairly committed. Good people to be discipled by and to disciple. And then, of course, everyone else here. All the Christians in our church. So, uh, the war that we fight is for souls. And that includes with ourselves. Uh, We fight. uh, We are in a war of life and death. And the battle cannot be won by yourself. Um, no one-man armies here. Uh, You need help from the Lord himself and from the Holy Spirit in dwelling within you, but through other believers as well, the Holy Spirit being poured into you from other believers. This is God's design for your life. It's not just uh, good advice. It's the design. Um, You need to submit to the design uh, to fight side by side with your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. So... To that end, we want to spend today thinking about biblical accountability and what it looks like in the life of us believers. So first, uh, remember there is a wickedness in refusing accountability. It's very serious uh, in refusing God's commands for His people and how we help one another. In Psalms ten four, it says of the wicked, uh, in the pride of his face. The wicked does not seek him, that being God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And I think it's very possible to believe in God, maybe as an agnostic or something like that, or as somebody who claims to be a Christian. But when it comes to every single thing that you deal with in your life, to disregard him, (laughs) and in those specific things, be like, well, there's no God there. But when I go to church, there's God. And then from there, you're soloing it. You're doing it alone. A Christian should pursue accountability. It should be something that we seek as part of Christ likeness. It greatly benefits us, but it also greatly benefits others. And it glorifies God. So let's start with three biblical reasons why we want to pursue accountability. Three biblical reasons. And as always, at any moment, at any time, you could raise your hand or chime in with a question or any comment that you want. Uh, We're all here to grow with each other. All right. So reason number one, biblical reason. Scripture encourages confession. So 1 John 1, 9 through 10, memory verse says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgive us and cleanse us. But also says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us so confession is helpful because it relieves our burden of guilt and shame uh, but we don't do it simply because it makes us feel better uh, first and foremost we confess our sin because the bible directs us to and in loving god we obey god uh, confession of sin starts with god david cries out to god this is a great thing to measure yourself by, to seek. He says, as you've, I'm sure you've heard before, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's from Psalm 51. Four, uh, our sin as Christians is ultimately an offense before a holy God. We must run to God first before we reconcile with others. Uh, But it is also important to confess our sins to other believers, which I'm sure in our individualistic society sounds kind of scary. But Jesus' brother James said, Therefore, uh, confess your sins to one another. This is James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much." I think that's tied very closely to the golden rule, more than we may think. Healthy discipleship relationships include conversation about sin. Um, Confession is an act of initiating openness and vulnerability about sin before God and with other Christians think something to think about is when you're in church with your church family and you look around and I don't know if this might just be me the way I think but this comes from being an introvert and being shy when I was young but when I'm in a group and I look at all these people am I thinking okay my secrets are safe <laughs> like I'm fooling everyone because when I was shy I had to basically pretend to be an extrovert until I was an extrovert this constant thing of like, am I hiding? Nobody knows. Okay. I feel like a church, it should be openly free and and loving. You should be able to look at people and be like, these people know about my sin. And that's a good thing because they're praying for me. And they're, they know that it's an enemy that can attack the entire church. (laughs) Um, That's more so I think the goal, but I think that Maybe for younger Christians, or even people who've been Christians a long time, they can have this feeling of like, I don't want to go to a place where everybody knows about the bad stuff that I do. And then when I see them, that's all I think about. It's like, it depends on how you're thinking about it, Are you thinking about it in relation to your strength, or like Paul, in relation to your weakness in Christ's strength. So uh, it's never an easy thing to do, but the Bible consistently encourages Christians to bring their sin out of the darkness and into the light. Does so, does so in the Gospel of John quite a bit, in 1 John. Uh, sin should never be allowed to hide and persist in the darkness. That's where it wants to be. That's where it wants to grow. Being, uh, bringing sin into the light means exposing it before God and others. talks about that in Ephesians uh, 5. But we'll look at Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. A uh, confession of sin brings mercy for the sinner. Solomon writes uh, in Proverbs 28:13, "Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper." It's pretty cut and dry. And he also says, "But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy." The one clearly sounds better than the other. Um, so it may not be easy. But it's been made clear, even back in the Old Testament, this is the way to go. Uh, The second biblical reason is scripture warns us about self-deceit. So Christians, uh, scripture encourages us to confess, right, as Christians. And now it's saying, and within, there is a self-deceit they need to be careful of. I was just driving here in the interstate. Um, thankfully, it's cleared up with the CWS being over. But uh, blind spots. They're real. They're very real. There's plenty of accidents that happen because of blind spots. And Christians have blind spots. That's not to say that Christ... That's not to say that it's like the Church of Laodicea where you're like, you are blind. This is temporary, learning, sanctifying blind spots. Not, I once was blind, so now I'm blind. It's not it. No, you're seeing clearly, but it's time to uh, break away these temporary blind spots. Uh, The limitations of being weak. So they have blind spots. We have blind spots. Uh, Ways in which we live in ignorance of indwelling sin and its harmful effects on us and on others, everyone in our lives. So ignorance is the key term here. Sin can make me blind to my own faults. Sin causes me to be deceived about the depth and the breadth of the problems in my life. The author of Hebrews, it's uh, Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, he writes, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So self-deceit, it affects every Christian. The author of Hebrews warns believers, take care, be careful. You can still make foolish choices that lead to a sinful, unbelieving heart. It's a temporary thing. Uh, only Christians endure. Uh, They don't believe temporarily. Self-deceit leads believers into this kind of momentary atheism. Moments in which our self-dependence and lack of trust in God leads us to live more according to the world and less according to the truth. I've been there, did it for eight years. Uh, Spiritual pride and self-security, as some theologians say, are the most or some of the most crippling sins in our world. So what's the antidote to self-deceit? You know, if you could admit to yourself that deep down my sin nature can deceive me, what's the antidote? Well, according to the author of Hebrews, it is to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to build each other up. The Holy Spirit feeding out says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So notice the two ideas that the that in the middle is connecting, encouraging one another daily. It helps prevent a hardening that might come through sin's deceitfulness. So this daily encouragement is the antidote to sin's deceitfulness. That's why, another reason, again, why we're walking through this class. Um, When we were talking about starting this class, it was because we had come to a place where we felt like, especially the group that comes to Sunday school, I know a lot of them are on vacation today, but you guys had come to a healthy place where you really had a desire to love and take care of each other. It felt like a good point to be like, all right, let's really solidify this, because... We seem to have a group here. Um, And in doing that, knowing each other better and caring about each other, you can more so do this daily exhortation. Um, It helps prevent the hardening of each other's hearts to encourage each other. Um, And obviously this isn't some sort of worldly encouragement. This is encouragement to run the race, to continue down, to continue to uh, Love all of the things that God is teaching you in your spiritual disciplines of reading the word and praying and looking at the world and analyzing it with a God-shaped lens. Uh, The third reason, the third third biblical reason, scripture encourages honesty about weakness. So we have a self-deceit within and we're also weak. We need to be really honest about that. So if you wanna turn to 2 Corinthians 12, the amazing passage. This is where Paul, uh, God through Paul, really sets us free in a huge way. So Paul is in the midst of a long section in 2 Corinthians where he is defending his apostleship against false apostles that are invading the church. In chapter 11, right before, he talks about boasting, and he says, this is verse 18 and verse 30 of uh, 2 Corinthians 11. He says, Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. And then in verse 30 he says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So unlike the flesh which boasts in its strength, Paul wants to focus on weakness. Why? Because he knows God works through our weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he talks about a thorn in the flesh that was tormenting him. Obviously, Paul was not specific about the problem, but whatever it is, Paul pleads with the Lord to take it away. In response, and I believe he pleads with him three times, in response, Christ says in verse 9, "'My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness.'" Rather than taking the pain away, God provides grace for Paul to endure the trial. This is very consistent with the way that God operates in our world with uh, humans throughout uh, the Bible. Uh, God's power is shown through Paul's weakness. Paul's response in verses 9 and 10 is huge. And uh, I hope one day to respond like this on a regular basis. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Uh, just the idea. It sounds so good. I want to get there so bad. Lord, please help us all to get there. Don't be, don't be too anxious. <laughs> I, want, I want it so bad. All right. All the more gladly of my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. <laughs> For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." So Paul will boast about his weakness because it is in weakness that Christ's power is evident. As God provides grace to go through a trial, you see what strength really is. In contrast to the world's thinking, where strength is a strength and weakness is a weakness, we can see God shows his power in the midst of our weakness. So very appropriately, Paul concludes, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Very, very easy one to remember. 2 Corinthians 12, 10. For when I am weak, I am strong. What's up, Mary?
1: The power, then, is the grace to endure, right?
0: The power is the grace to endure. Okay. Um... Yeah, yep, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> um, it's definitely his grace. Because um, here, you know, he's wanting this pain to be taken away, whatever it is. Knowing Paul it must have been pretty difficult. Um, and yeah, so his response, my grace is sufficient for you. For a power is made perfect in weakness. Yeah, I think your your answer. That's a really good, just uh, what's the word? Um, succinct answer. I think with the grace, it's all the stuff that comes with you know that grace as well. Um, the uh, the salvation, the sanctification, the knowing of Christ. It's like that whole other world that. Um, is there amongst the pain? Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's so easily summed up in his grace. Um, so we can ask ourselves, considering the way Paul is here, um, it's pretty hard to not ask yourself, how do I view my own weakness? Is it a source of shame? or a reason to boast as Paul did about the power of Christ. Um, in contrast to the world, which teaches us to project confidence and boast in our strengths, Paul encourages us as Christians to be honest about our weakness because it is in our weakness that God shows his strength. And so it, it is within this that there's a the great need for accountability. and God's great wisdom, He made us to live in community. That's why he gave us the church. In his great kindness, God put believers in the middle of covenant communities, and we have a good covenant here, where we can hear God's word and grow alongside each other, alongside other believers. Um, And now you might say, and... um, I think I used to say this, even though it wasn't true. (laughs) I would present this to trick people. Say, I get plenty of encouragement from fellowship at church and reading God's word. I've been getting along just fine without accountability relationships. Um, And that's fine. I mean, if you want to think that way, go ahead. But it's very dangerous. um, And it's kind of, uh, it's tough. It's just not uh, really adhering to some of the wisdom that God is giving you and really tapping in deep into the relationships that God has presented before you. That you didn't go find yourself, they were presented to you. Are you going to say something, Mike? Well, I was just thinking... Oh, one second, him go. first.
1: Uh, <laughs> you go. Go. Uh, so I was just thinking... So I was talking about, talking about our weakness mm-hmm. and we are also talking about... Sin and you know the secret sins in the heart, and there's there's a, a state, of, there's a state of where a Christian can be where it, it's almost like it's not so much weakness, but it's you know deliberate hiding of sin. It's it's sort of. Um, sin and secret sins and stuff like that, Uh where it's, I don't know, I don't don't think of that so much as weakness, I think of that as, well, rebellion and needing to be brought to the point.
0: Yeah. Uh, But then there's a point... They probably fall more under the second biblical reason, self-deceit, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, so, but it's like we need this accountability a lot of times in order to be brought from This state of rebellion to where now we're dealing with the sin, sure, and that's when our weakness comes out. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, some besetting sin, which is hard to, you know, hard to um, deal with, hard to sort of extricate ourselves from, and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So, it's almost like part of this purpose of discipleship and the accountability is to sort of identify these certain sins particularly i think when i was a very young christian it was so easy to hide that was my habit you know hiding hiding my sins where i needed to be sort of taught and brought to this point where now I'm, it's not hiding them but it's dealing with them and yeah. dealing with them. the weakness you know that's where i'm my weakness is made evident, and so I deal with it. So I don't yeah, know, yeah. I don't know if, all, I don't know if all that makes
0: sense. No, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I, no. The, yeah, I think there's. Uh, I think it's for everybody, but definitely for kids who grew up in the church. Um, as you grow up in Christ, you—it's weird. You get smarter with Christ. Growing up in the church, you also get smarter at knowing how to sin. <laughs> Because you're growing up and you're becoming more intelligent. Um, But uh, God makes it clear to bring these things into the light. And I think that the rebellion that you're talking about, and I would say also the self-deceit, is that, well, especially here in America, um, even just in our, our city, it's like... Well, the most I'm going to get out of life is if I present something that's likable and (laughs) easy to digest. And when I do that, people are going to be nicer to me and life's going to be better. So sometimes I don't even think like it's definitely there's definitely like it's secret. I don't want anyone to know. I want to keep working on this thing so nobody knows, so I can see where it goes. And I think there's also just like. It's just this self, it's so ignorant, because I'm talking about myself, but there's this ignorance of like, I don't even realize that I'm hiding these things from people, because I'm just trying to get the most out of life by the way that I understand it, instead of the way that God told me to understand it.
2: Eventually you'll be out
0: Yeah, or in, in there, your sin will find you out, or for me, sin festered, and then it came to the point where it came to the surface, and it stayed on the surface for maybe two years. It was anger. It was down, 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 and then it came, and then it took so long to get rid of it. I was so mean to so many people. Like, it came, and I couldn't get because I had grown it, so it stayed there. It like, Caleb uh, was talking about somebody with a, a sin problem, I think yesterday. It was amazing how much it sounds like a disease. It was just like i had a problem and i didn't know what it was and then i identified it and I was like wow i'm not i don't have power over myself the, the weakness right it's like i need i need to die i need the antidote to this It's diagnosed i'm weak be <laughs> so. almost embarrassing too to you to, you know especially
2: to a newcomer to a person new to a church man you almost feel like man i am so far under these, you know, the, the people around me, I feel like I just do so much worse than they do. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. No,
0: seriously. No, no, I, I, know. I, so, I know. I tend to hide it, you know, because you're know, like, <laughs> man, I, these people are standing together, and I feel like I just don't. Mm-hmm. You know, I, think,
2: I think it's why it's important for for people to talk amongst each other about it, because it t- brings it out. and You start realizing, wow, they've got the same problems I do. Yeah. You know, they, they deal with the same sin that I do. Mm-hmm. Every day, you know, and I think it's important to bring it out and make, make people more comfortable with admitting their sin and confessing their sin.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so heavily confronted, it's so, uh, I'll say, it, not heavily, perfectly <laughs> confronted in the church. Uh, th- I think this is something that the world tastes, you know, through certain groups, the way they come together and be open about, you know, I'm an alcoholic, whatever it is. I mean, all all power to trying to be better, sure. But it's in the church that it's presented like this is this is sin. <laughs> like that's very serious. That's a word that is dropping out of the culture. But it is the best way to define it. This is sin. This is deep down. I am, I am wrong. I have a problem. It's not good. Um, so we all have.
1: I mean, each of us <laughs> have this message propensities for different sins. But
0: sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> a, no matter how mature and how long you've
1: been Christian.
0: Yeah. A sin is really, really serious business. Um, and it affects our lives. Oh, yeah, sure, one second. It affects our lives in such a pervasive way that it goes beyond anything that we could imagine. Um, and based off of just the three scriptural reasons we looked at, Uh, My contention is that accountability is not just advisable, but a necessary part of your Christian growth. We need each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, to stand alongside and help us to see the many ways that sin hurts us. We talked about this in the class about uh, why discipleship in the local church is such a great model. It's because you have so many different people that you can trust, or that you should trust, with the Holy Spirit. And they should be trustworthy so many people looking at you from so many different angles. And it's, it's great. You have all of this, like, totally loving, totally helpful, um, I hate to use the word, but criticism, I guess. But it's more so helping you go in the right direction instead of just latching on to one person and being like, that person likes me, so I'm good. It's like, nope. Everybody. In <laughs> uh, James five nineteen through twenty, says, "My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins." What are you gonna say?
2: Well, there's sort of a natural tendency of people, in other words, our good deeds or virtues, to magnify them minimize our sins and yeah. other things, especially when the world or your friends sort of approve of it. Yeah. So in other words, in a way, you feel you're in the same boat with everybody else. Definitely. And it can't be that bad seeing everybody else is doing it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I think we. Uh, this is something that... Um, David taught me through discipling me one-on-one. Um, but it's very clearly in the Bible. I just missed it for so long. I was so pharisaical. But uh, it's, uh, it's not a transactional relationship. <laughs> it's not it. You don't have a transactional relationship with God. And you don't have a transactional relationship with each other. <laughs> you just don't. But I think when you come into a church for the first time or... I guess in my case, for many, many years, but you don't really know what church is, or just sitting there. Um, being benefited by the scripture, because your parents want you to be there, but you don't understand it. Um, you're going to have this thing of like, I have, this is, I'm transacting with people. Like, I have to do things that, like I said before, do things that are good so I get good back, and if I mess that up, that's not good. Um, and that's just not, that's not the, uh, the Christian light, the, the Christian culture that we're supposed to be shining in our culture, it's supposed to be different here. It's supposed to be when people come in, it's different, and they know it's different. And that transactional part, that needs to be destroyed. <laughs> um, needs to be dropped into the bottom of the deepest ocean. Just be open and free. Uh, it always bums me out when I talk about how being a Christian is the, most, is the most freedom you can have. And I hear from a Christian, I don't know what that means. I'm like, all right, let's talk about this. <laughs> it really is. Um, so now for the, for the rest of the class, we're going to look at um, seven ways, seven, or sorry, nine. Uh, nine general principles. Um, these are kind of applications uh, that can help when having guidelines for an accountability relationship. Um, so to make your accountability relationships effective, um, there are nine things could, that could really help. Obviously, as with most of these classes, it's not an exhaustive list. It's just what we got. Any of you have anything yourself, please, for discipleship's sake... Speak up! Bring it up. All right. So, firstly, asking good questions. This is insanely helpful. So, in the Bible, uh, we learn that in order to really understand another person, we have to ask good questions. I think if you look through the Gospel, Christ asks a ton of good questions. One second, as Solomon writes in Proverbs twenty-five, twenty, verse five, um, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Well, that's convicting. Uh, to get at the sin, someone has to ask you good questions. And what were you going to say, Henry?
2: Well, sometimes, you know, what is a good question?
0: <laughs> exactly.
2: And, and of course to the everyone else it might be just trivial but to the person asking the question hey it's something i don't understand or mm-hmm. some confusion about so it might be a good question for the guy asking it but
0: everybody yeah. else it's and you, st-
2: stupid even
0: <laughs> oh yeah and, and you bring up a cons like a consistent truth that i think all of us together have been discovering in this class that, like, probably one of the most consistent truths, if there's anything that you take from this class, maybe for the rest of your life, is that every disciple is different. (laughs) And the Bible doesn't change. I'm not saying to change that, because out there they're like, everyone's different, so change everything. No, everyone's different, so let's get this to everybody differently, but not lose what it says, right? and that's a great example. I can ask a question that's very general and for them to be like, I don't even know how to answer that. That's so general. I could ask a question super specific, they'd be like, oh, that is, let's keep it light here. <laughs> it's like, you, just, you know, you have to, but you have to be willing to take that chance and uh, to adjust and Maybe, maybe for um, some people, I don't know, I think a lot of the uh, more seasoned folks in here are really good at this stuff, but I think for some people, especially with the generation coming after us, I think the social stuff is terrifying. Especially getting into somebody else, like asking them questions. I think it's kind of scary. There's all this uh, stuff about maybe making somebody f- feel an emotion and that's like a crime to make them feel, it's kind of scary. But um, then you got your level of understanding of the subject, too. Sure. Yeah. Um, but regardless, like, still have to be willing to ask the questions and dig in. Um, you might not have a super great time the first time or the first five times, but need to ask. And uh, some good questions are heart-penetrating questions. So there are questions that go beyond the superficial elements of life, the small talk, uh, and draws out the sin that sits in the deepest recesses of the heart, like Mike talking about, deep down. So consider an example of a Christian who struggles with lying. If you start by asking fact-finding questions to understand the circumstances that surround the sin. So like, when did this problem start? what's the inception of the problem um how often do you lie to others how often is this happening right what situation are you more likely to do this to speak a lie but to go even deeper you have to ask more penetrating questions like what are you trying to cover up by lying (laughs) it's not easy but it's good what self-centered motives make you lie to others? Or what what are you gonna gain out of this? Like what's the payoff for lying? And do you really think it's worth it? Like you're doing this, we do things and we kind of see down the road where the goal is. What's the goal? Where's this gonna go? Do you do you do you have that feeling of doom? Because if you do, it's very likely you're on, you know, this is the track of sin here. One second. And how do you plan to give an account to God when you have to explain your lying habits. Habits being the important word. It's not easy. what were you gonna say? And
1: number one, they have to say yes to Are you willing to go there with
0: me? It's oh, what do you mean? Yeah. Wait, what do you mean?
1: You would say, are you willing to talk about this thing with
0: me? Oh, yeah.
1: Because if they say no to that, what do you Yeah.
0: Do? yeah. Is it, can we talk about this? Yeah. No. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> like, Cause I love you. Like, yeah. <laughs> I really, really love you. Like <laughs> Really want to pull you out of this burning building. I love you. You're on fire. Can, can I put you out now? Are you sure? Cause you're on fire. Not the good way. Uh, the second, don't be scared to confront. Um, so, when you see sin in someone else's life, are you bold enough to confront it? Proverbs 26, 4-5 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be... Sorry, this is a very confusing proverb. <laughs> answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. On the other hand, ask or answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. This is two sides of measurement here. So, let's break this down. The wise person is talking with the fool and assessing how to respond to the fool. He must not answer a fool's foolish comment with his own foolish comment, or else he will just end up like the fool, meeting him on his own foolish ground. It's verse 4. But verse 5, on the other hand, the wise man must not answer the fool in such a way as to confirm the fool's delusion that he is actually wise. So if he comes down to his level... Then he's just just going to be a bunch of foolish talk. But if he's too far back, he's not going to change anything. (laughs) He's just going to sound like he's affirming everything that the fool believes. Uh, Sorry, that's uh, Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. So the wise person sees how the fool is deceiving himself and seeks to save him from further self-deception. And... The way to avoid this is to ask questions, to really get to know the person, instead of, you know, like, well, I'll just imitate for a sec and see what happens. Oh, that didn't go well. Or I'll just keep my distance, but kind of act like I care. That's not going to work either. Um, one, one, just sure. Just real
1: quick. I, I, I think maybe this is what you were alluding to But this, I think you have to sort of First of all, based this on some of the things we were talking about, other, is that relationship is important. These aren't things we would say to the guy that just walks through the door. Sure. And stuff like that. Or the guy that we just met, you know, maybe last week and stuff. I mean, these are things that once you've developed a discipling kind of relationship, mm-hmm. now you're delving into these things. So, yeah, and I think that's. Maybe important to keep in mind. I, mean,
0: I think it's a general rule you're definitely right but I still do think it does come down to the individual there are people who I've dealt with that have come in and they're like hurting <laughs> and so it's just like what's going on you do some groundwork but within five minutes you're like what do you need and they just are, Bleh. Yeah, okay. yeah. but as a general rule yeah I mean these are relationships <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. and we see that with Christ in the gospel. He'll be like, come follow me. But then you see these things of like, and they sat for two days, like hanging out. And then before they went to this other place. So definitely, thank you for that. Uh, one commentator writes that uh, the wise person must expose the fool's distortions to serve his own interests at the expense of the community. And must not silently accept it, and thereby contribute to establishing his topsy-turvy world against the rule of God. It's really helping expose, like, this problem within you is not just anti-God, it's anti... It's like the opposite of the um, golden rule. It's against God, it's against others, and it hurts yourself as well. Uh, Proverbs 24.6 shows how another person's vantage point is valuable in deconstructing inaccurate views of ourselves. That's a great phrase, inaccurate views of ourselves. Uh, Because the fool has convinced himself that he is wise, he needs the wise person's help to see his own folly. I think we're good on time. Three, the third one, be honest. So there are a few things better in this life than an honest answer from a friend, or you could say a kiss on the lips from a spouse. And you can see this in Solomon's uh, Proverbs twenty four twenty six. He says, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Uh, Solomon considers an honest answer to be just as wonderful as a kiss. Honest answers are crucial or else accountability does not work. Uh, you can only care for another person to the extent that the person is willing to be forthright with his life. If you're playing Monopoly, and one of the person is slowly, sleight of hand, (laughs) taking the money, or putting their hotels on things, and be like, was that there before? It's like, yeah, man. Uh, The game is gonna be terrible. Uh, No, you have to be honest for things to actually work in some sort of structure. That includes relationships. So what benefits do you reap from honesty? Well, honesty helps others to see your heart, to know your motives, to assess when you are, um, to assess your blind spots, and to see where you need the most help. Uh, Without honesty, mutual trust can never be built. And without trust, discipling will not prosper. Um, It's helpful to see this, uh, I guess in a certain way you could say that because God is a great physician and the Holy Spirit is in your fellow brothers and sisters, when you're coming to church with a problem, you can kind of see yourself, like we said, maybe somebody on fire or somebody with a disease, and these people are here to help. <laughs> and if they come up like, How can I help you? I'm here. And you're like, uh, Nothing. Just stubbed my toe. Like, yeah, I don't know. You would never, I don't think you would ever do that with a paramedic coming to save your life. I think you would lie to him. But. That's and I, you know, that illustration. It's the way that we should probably more so lean. We should more think that way. You know, this is saving my life. Um, being honest isn't destroying my idea of what my life should be. Being honest is saving my life. Getting me face to face with God. Um, staying faithful. Uh, without honesty, mutual trust can never be built. And without trust, discipling will never prosper. So we need to be honest with each other, and in the environment of righteous trust and love, we need to be open with each other. You got the part with uh, Christ telling Peter, get behind me, Satan. I don't think he's just trying to, like, spike him. He's being honest with him, really honest. Uh, and he knows Peter. I think that's I think that's a very personal way that he addressed Peter. Because he knows Peter. He knows how excited Peter is. He's like, get me on music. Uh, number four, be vulnerable. All right. I think this one's tough. So accountability just does not work if you're not willing to be open, to be vulnerable. Admittedly, this is hard because this is incredibly uncomfortable having other people getting into you, your stuff, uh, looking at your sin and messing, as we would say, messing with your life. Uh, for accountability to work, you've got to let yourself be known to others. Even though Paul had rebuked the Corinthians for their sin, he had not stopped speaking frankly with them and being open with them. This is uh, referencing Second Corinthians 6.11. He writes, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. Uh, Yet uh, he had to chastise them because they had grown cold towards him and had closed their hearts. This is 2 Corinthians 6, 12 and 13. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. For accountability to work you also have to let others be intrusive and intrusive has a really bad connotation in our culture but i use the word deliberately that's our plan is to be deliberate disciples it means you need to let people see beyond the superficial and see some of the deeper matters of your heart pride and selfishness pain and suffering Fear of man. All those things. And you need to let people speak in those areas. Again, (laughs) I think that's a tough one, so I'm going to say it again. You need to let people speak in those areas. I know that idea is, like, very scary. Oh, I'm going to talk about my pride and selfishness and let other people talk about it in front of me. (coughs) Yes, very much so. It will help. Um, Just like you'd let a doctor talk about your disease. Um, even when you don't want to hear advice because it could possibly mess up your own plans. You just let them speak. Doing so could save your life. And then this piggybacks off of that. I'll stop for questions in a sec, but this uh, just goes so well with the other. Number five is be gracious. So consider this example. A Christian husband shares his desire to get straightforward feedback from his wife. He asks her to be honest about his faults. So she takes him at his word and shares some of her struggles with his inconsistent behavior. And so he finds himself saying, my reaction to her comments were not very gracious. (laughs) By the way I reacted, you'd think I had actually asked for the feedback. uh, Or you'd think I hadn't asked for the feedback. If I were her, I'd be reluctant to ever give feedback again. <laughs> so Paul writes in Colossians, Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each question. That's really convicting for me. A gracious speech is characterized by a gentle tone, it's pulling from Proverbs 15:1, and a loving attitude, it's pulling from Ephesians 4:29. Hearing others point to your faults can be painful, uncomfortable, and stressful. So boom, someone speaks, oh, I don't feel good. You can make a difficult experience a little less difficult by always being gracious in your speech, tone, and attitude. So I like, I like the stance they take there in the lesson of like, you need to be gracious. OK. So we immediately think of the person helping the other person. They need to be gracious. Like, yes, definitely. But also, as the person who's getting the feedback, you need to be gracious. (laughs) When they say things, if you start challenging them, like, sorry to say, but I I think it comes from being a child. you start to challenge them as a child on every single thing they say, like, well, what do you mean? Give me some examples. (laughs) It's like, graciousness, graciousness. You want a salt, a seasoned salt going back and forth. So those are five. Any questions on those before we look at these next ones pretty quick?
2: So graciousness, you're sort of saying, say bad stuff in a nice way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe in a worldly sense, a worldly perspective. I think that it's good stuff, but it's painful stuff in that sense. Yes, it's painful, but always. I mean, the verse is saying always. (laughs) Always. Always in a good way. Um, I believe it says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. That's an intense reality. Any other questions or comments? Nah, nothing to say. All right, number six, be humble. So an accountability relationship is meeting between two sinners. Both of whom need God's grace and mercy. Haughtiness, arrogance, vengeance, hatred, manipulation, they're all self-destructive and they all ruin genuine biblical accountability. Um, all of these have been done. There's nothing interesting or new about these things. If you do this when somebody's trying to keep you accountable, you're just you're feeding into the old story of sin. So when you tell others about their sin, you must never do it with a sinful attitude. That's not to say you're gonna be perfect when you address someone else's sin, but you must always be careful about your motives, your own motives when speaking to someone about their sin. Sorry, that's a really convicting one too. This one's hitting hard today. Again, you must be careful about your own motives when speaking to someone about their sin. Humility is a necessary component of biblical accountability. Humility levels the playing field and says to the other person, I am a sinner, just as desperately in need of God's grace. This is an incredible thing to see through. uh, I have a friend who does this with his kids. It's a very difficult thing to balance. The authority, but also leveling the playing field, looking at his kid and being like, I'm a sinner too. (laughs) <laughs> but they respond so greatly to it. But, uh, so humility encourages the listener to have an open heart and open ears to what you might say. No one wants to listen to an arrogant person, uh, but to a humble person, many will be willing to listen. Practically, one way to do this is by transparency. Uh, let them see your struggles. Um, I think Jason was talking about in one class, maybe before you dive in, this is more about biblical reading, but he was saying maybe more before you just dive in and start asking them questions, maybe you should just start talking about where you're at and then kind of like ease your way in. That's one method. I think asking questions is also a great method. Uh, Seven, be encouraging. This is Acts 15.32. Uh, This is talking about some of the... uh, Disciples here in Acts. Um, And Judas and Silas, who were were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. So encouragement is an important part of accountability. An honest pursuit of diagnosing sin can lead to, to discouragement. So, be careful because you can overwhelm a a person with uh, his or her sin. It's not an easy thing to look at. Wisdom, prayer, and guidance from others can help us to understand when to speak up about sin and how often to speak up about it. Too much too soon can be overwhelming. Too little too infrequently can lead to superficial accountability. As a discipler, you need to be wise about how you help someone see their own sin. Consider things like, how much can this person handle? Again, every person's different. Really take that away from this class. Do they have ears to hear for what I need to tell them? Uh, what encouraging signs of spiritual growth have I seen in them? And have I encouraged them with this information? It's always helpful. Did that go well? No. <laughs> or yes. You know, Even though I feel weird, it did go well. So let's try that again next time. A relentless pursuit of diagnosing sin without any mercy leads a person to hopeless Christianity. A relentless pursuit of diagnosing sin with an abundance of love and encouragement, that leads to Christ-likeness. Eight, be available. Uh, Galatians 6.10 says... So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. If you don't have time, don't let your compassionate heart, no matter how good your uh, intentions might be, don't let your compassionate heart say yes to someone who needs help. Accountability involves a consistent, ideally maybe weekly, commitment. Meeting too infrequently can be a problem and occurs in the church all the time. If you don't have time for someone, you do them no good by saying yes if they ask for help. Only say yes if you realistically have the time in your schedule. Accountability and discipleship will be defeated without consistency. I think a lot of times these little practical things of like, I don't have time. A lot of times it's just God's sovereignty being like, you don't have time because this person has time and I'm going to develop something there. Um, again, I really think, I don't know I keep coming back to it, but I think the doctor illustration is helpful. I'm not going to be like, all right, come see me again. I might be here. I might not uh, to help you patient. <laughs> it's just not very good. And nine, uh, the foundation, the core of all be word centered. And here we come to the famous memory verse that we should have. Hebrews four twelve through thirteen verses. For the word of God is living and active, yes, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That sounds good. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So there is a danger of limiting discipling relationships to accountability only. Um, That's actually something I won't go into detail, but that's something we actually saw in this church before we got here. Uh, Some people get together and spend the majority of their time talking about their sin struggles. I use the term sin-fest. It's like a (laughs) sin-fest. Sorry, that might be too mean. That's just how I see it. Um, uh, While we are obviously supportive of Christians, talking about sin, we must be. This is where they should. We do not want this to be the only thing that characterizes their relationship and our relationship with each other. Accountability relationships should always be word-centered, truth-centered, Even in situations where significant sin needs to be discussed, it's important as Christians to frequently and quickly bring the conversation back to God's Word. Um, uh, Makes me think of like those uh you're standing on those rafts with like those <laughs> things that you hit each other with you're on the raft out in the lake and you're like Whoa, you know like if you guys start going off the whole thing you're just going to fall over into the water and then you have to get back on it's not easy just stay on the word of god stay on the foundation I'm not saying the word of god is an unbalanced raft it's it's you know it's rock so don't quote me on that um Our sin distorts our ability to see life properly. God's word helps to correct our faulty vision and to see sin for what it really is, a stumbling block to our relationships with God and others. Any more questions, comments before I summarize? all destroyed at this point. Uh, In summarizing these things, good biblical accountability involves asking good questions, not being afraid of confrontation. I mean, this is love here. Being honest. Being available. Being vulnerable. Being humble. Leveling the playing field. Being gracious, because it can really hurt. And being word-centered. And all of these things that are listed before being word-centered, being word-centered will just help (laughs) all of these things work better. Christians uh, must avoid autonomous and anonymous Christianity. Um, That'd be a funny group that meets autonomous autonomous, anonymous. We do nothing in church and don't grow. Uh, No, uh, biblical accountability is an important part and a necessary part of spiritual growth. And accountability is part of discipleship. But it's not all of discipleship. Um, the word growing fellowship still really important. But without accountability, it's hard to really see the, the full scope of love there. Christ was clearly somebody who kept accountability with people. Um, Mark 12, 28-31 says... And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing one another, with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, "'Which commandment is the most important of all?' Jesus answered, "'The most important is,' the Shema, "'Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. "'And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, "'and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. "'The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself.' There is no other commandment greater than these. That commandment, that passage, it just really sheds a light on all these things that we're talking about. Um, beautifully. Because, man, I'm, uh, if, if you're keeping your sin in or you're practicing something, you know, it, it, it's like having broccoli in your teeth. <laughs> If I have broccoli in my teeth, please tell me. I'm serious. Please tell me. Just point it out. I don't care if we're in front of everybody. I just want it out of there as quickly as possible. Uh, but if you're not doing that for everyone else, then it's, uh, I don't think that's how you want people to treat you. Uh, finally, in discipleship, you're loving God first by loving your neighbor as yourself.